Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Thursday, September the 20th, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Your second daily dose of happy for the day, and we hope your day is going as well as mine's going. Mine's been a nice, comfortable day, which is kind of unusual around here. I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that the stress level is relatively low, and the weather is relatively nice and comfortable. We got the house open. It's like, this is a good day. I mean, it's not like I even have to work for this one. This is a good day. How's your day going, Wendy? <laughs> My day is going awesome. It's been very lazy. Um, I've gotten a lot of sleep, a lot of contemplation. Oh, nice. Um, and just really focusing on the joy of my life. That's a really great thing. That's fabulous. Well done. Congratulations. We're done with the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we just stay on just to see if we can help bring some other people into the same Oh, that's right. Africa. We're supposed to do that, too. I forgot. <laughs> oh, how could I have forgotten? Oh, yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course, that's one of the main reasons we do this show, because we want everybody to be in that better feeling place. And it's it's one, of, it's one of the motivations. It's I mean, I, I think it is for you, too. It's one of my biggest motiv- motivations for doing the podcast. I mean, yes, I love doing it. But you know, the idea of being able to help as many listeners as possible and bring more listeners in to help them and, and getting everybody into a higher vibrational state, mm-hmm. whoa, that, that's really appealing. That's like super appealing. So Yeah. So for those that are interested in getting a, a piece of inspiration or getting encouraged to feel better, stay tuned. Hang on. Hang, hang with us for the rest of the hour and hopefully you'll receive something that will make you really glad that you did. That's true. That's true. And and it's going to be a, a, a an interesting hour. I don't know what else to call it because we're taking on one of those uh, challenging topics, one of the topics that you, know, you don't normally hear much about when you're talking to somebody about law of attraction. But, of course, we don't shy away from stuff like that. We go after the tough stuff because we're going to be talking about victimization. And that's that's not one of those really pleasant ideas, but it is something that we have to understand how to avoid, isn't it? If if we're to, you know, really attract the stuff that we want to attract into our lives. Well, we have to at least avoid allowing ourselves to own being a victim. Yes, that's what I mean. I don't mean to avoid the subject here. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's one of those things that's also hard to describe too. I, this is what we're trying to do to here today, folks. <laughs> but uh, Well, and you know, this came as a follow up to what we were talking about on Tuesday. And mm. I know I had ended the show by talking about um, somebody that we had taken into our home right. um, who was a friend of ours and who who came to us because, uh, or in other words, he was willing to come and stay with us because we were putting a roof over his head and food in his mouth and giving him kind of a respite from his life. But it was kind of with the understanding, and we did verbalize this, it was with the understanding that he would be open to receiving some new information because as a life coach, this is what I have to offer. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I could help him go through some personal transformation so that he could actually improve the quality of his life so that he could exit our home better than when he came. Yeah. Which is a phenomenal offer. And over the course of maybe five years, he came and stayed with us twice because he was in a really desperate down and out kind of situation. And the second one ended with him telling me he didn't respect what I did. He didn't even believe in it. He thought it was stupid. And based on that, I said, then there's no reason for you to stay here. You can leave now. And he did. Within the next 15 minutes, he packed his stuff up and he was gone. Mm -hmm. And that's what caused you to 
you know, say, hey, let, let's follow up on this on, on our Thursday call. Yeah. So I just thought I'd set that up with that was the background for where we are today. Well, I'm glad you did, because when when that little bit of story was, I'm not sure if it was done, but when we got that far in the story on Tuesday, it really nailed home for me just the there are so many ways that we set ourselves up in life. I mean, he had particularly demonstrated it. He set himself up. I mean, he did it deliberately. I mean, it's pretty clear that he was kind of gaming the system a bit to have a place to stay for a while. And then finally his bluff got called and he was no longer able to game the system anymore. <laughs> True. And I've known True. people like that. I think all of us have known people who who behave that way, who think that way. And it's one of those things that's both perplexing and of concern and just plain startling. Like, how do you live that way, first of all? And if you're dealing with somebody like that, how do you deal with somebody like that? Because you certainly don't want to get kind of trapped in that kind of situation where you're helping somebody and you find out he doesn't really want to be helped. He just wants a free lunch. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and just to kind of reiterate a little bit of what I said on Tuesday, what came out of that experience for my husband and I after the fact was a very new, clear awareness that not everybody wants to feel better. Yeah. I, I, you know, on the surface, it appears that everyone wants to feel better. And even on the surface, you know, he said he wanted something better. Um, but I truly believe that our behaviors are bigger indicators of what we really desire. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, maybe that's not even fair. Because I think what we really do, we all desire goodness. And that's what... You know, even unconsciously, we send rockets of desires, you know, out into the universe saying we really want something better. But if we don't ever focus on the better, if we don't really focus on how we really want our life to be, then the universe cannot send it to us. It's out there. It's available. But the universe can't send it to us. I think that's true. I think it's also I think it's also true, though, that there are some people who really Actually, I would say almost everybody at one point or another in their lives, if they're doing something or behaving in a certain way that is contrary to their own uh, greater intention, so to speak, their behavior still represents what they're thinking. It represents what they're, they're oh, feeling. Definitely. You know, so, I mean, there, there is that part of it. It's a, it's a big chunk of, of the whole picture. Well, and, you know, that kind of causes me to want to clarify the idea that what we desire uh, consciously may be different than what we desire under the surface mm. in the unknown, in the unaware part of us. Right. You know, um, and reconciling the two is found by uh, getting a connection with our feelings because our feelings will help us with that gap when one part of us wants something and another part of us seems to be undermining it. Mm. But that, that's probably for a, um, a little bit of a rabbit trail that either we can do at another time or later in this conversation. <laughs> okay. Well, 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 we'll make a note on that one. So let's go back to what you were saying. I mean, how do you want to attack this subject, so to speak? Because this one has a lot of different possible paths to go on. Well, you were the one who wanted to follow up, and I have a feeling you, in this arena, because we've kind of talked on this subject before, mm-hmm. um, kind of have a specific way you perceive the collective consciousness thinks on this subject. So can you take it and, and start? Well, I'm not sure if I know how the collective consciousness thinks about it. I know how I think about it. 
And well, let's start there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know I have known people in my life who behave that way, and they can be. There have even been situations where they've been relatively close, and it's been close confusing. To you close to me, close to family, close to people I know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, fairly close to home in a sense. And so, and, outline what that outline what that looks like from your. Oh, jeez. If I were kind of describing a generic person, it would be somebody who, uh, let's see, from, let, let, let's describe it from like a, a social perspective, the way we tend to generally look at people. It, it's somebody who would be described as a ne'er-do-well, can't really hold a job very often, um, often has some sort of a substance abuse situation, um, Often they'll get themselves into trouble one way or another, either you know, in a small degree or a large degree, either criminally or or just in terms of uh, relationships with family or friends or whatever. I mean, it, it, it's the the person who is the consummate trouble, the consummate problem. You know, the one who who has who seems to have trouble uh, accepting responsibility for their own lives, and uh, you know, they're the kind who often will just not be able to hold down a job and and they'll uh, insinuate their way with somebody in order to have a place to live. And it, it, it's like this, it's almost like it's a it, almost an underground way of living, you know, basically getting by, getting by, getting by on the graces of others to whatever degree you can do that. That's the kind of person I, that I'm talking about. And I've known a few like that. And it, they perplex me because I don't, I don't understand why anyone would want to live that way, first of all. And yet, having conversed with some of them, they seem to like it. And I don't understand it. Well, I think I, I believe that some people in, in the category that you've just described thrive on the drama. They thrive on the thrill and really the exhilaration of the unknown. Hmm. And they like to cause waves both in their life and others because there is, you know, you and I might this, but for them, there's a thrill in that. It's like going to the amusement park every day and they can't get enough of it. Wow. You know, and even though that's not the way I think, and I know it's not the way you think, um, I don't choose to judge them anymore because if that's the life that they find fun, go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, like just as an example, I know that, um, it had, had come to my attention through the news or through, I even think Oprah did an episode on this one about homelessness. There truly are some people that would prefer to be homeless because they feel such a sense of freedom that that's not how I experience freedom, but that's how they experience freedom. And so even when they get the opportunity to live in a house, live in a, you know, a shelter that has walls and a roof, um, in a short period of time, they create circumstances for that situation to be taken from them because homelessness really is their choice. And the interesting question for me there is when they create those circumstances, are they doing it consciously? Or is it just because they have a behavior pattern that just kind of plays its way out and they don't really know it's going to go that way, but it does? I think it's both. I know the one story I'm thinking of, um, the person was being interviewed and he said, I would just so prefer to live without a shelter because I do love the freedom and I love the variety that I experience every day. Hmm. 
you know, and, and there was more to it, but, you know, more conversation. But that was what I took away from it. And I went, wow, it is so fascinating how people think so differently in life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very different. You know, um, but in terms of victimization, well, there are those who we know have been, in a sense, victimized because we see the outward crime or abuse that has been bestowed upon them. Right. Um, but I think the victimization you're talking about is somebody who wants something better than what they're living, but they're kind of in a cyclical trap where they can't get themselves out of feeling as though they've been made the victim. That, that's certainly and one they, kind. Yeah. That, I mean, I would say that actually from my viewpoint, I'm seeing like a range of victimizations. In fact, the interesting part from a law of, law of attraction perspective is how when you have person A who has some degree of what we're talking about here as mixed in with their personality, and then they interact with persons B, C, D, and E, those persons B, C, and D, and E can also, in a sense, become victims in the way they interact, or they can treat that person as a victim. Or you know, There are a number of different ways that victimization comes to the fore because of the relationships that that kind of person tends to have in their life. So it's not just one particular kind. It's like all the kinds that kind of feed off of each other. Well, and bottom line, to feel as though you're a victim, I believe it comes down to one thing, which is you choose to re to relinquish being the owner of your life and taking responsibility for not only what you do, but how you think, which in turn is how you vibrate, and that's what law of attraction responds to. So that person who was interviewed on TV, you think that even though he was expressing his vision of what it is to be free, he was relinquishing control of his life? Um, what do you mean relinquishing control? Well, I was trying to use the phrasing that you used. Maybe I didn't say it properly. Um, okay. I, and I think do I'm asking I, to find out. I'm, I'm trying to find out what you, you think, actually. I'm trying to get to where you're getting okay. to with it. So with the guy on TV... Um, are you asking, do I think that he's being responsible for his life? I'd uh, that's, say yes. that's certainly part of the question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I believe that he is choosing the life that he lives consciously with deliberateness that the even though you and I might see homelessness as not the way we want to live, he may not know that there's another way that he can not be homeless. And still have freedom. But so, I believe from, you know, what I saw in that one small, you know, situation with one individual, what I heard was if he had a choice to have a house or be homeless, he felt there was more freedom, which was his huge value, to be found in being homeless because he thought that, you know, his, his idea was if you live in a house, you have to have a job. Or you have to find a way to create some kind of substantial income to keep paying the rent or the mortgage. And he found that to be a, a rat trap, just, you know, like the hamster wheel. Like there's so to him, he thought a job was not being free. Um, paying bills to him was not being free. And so this was all, upon, you know, based on his viewpoint. And, you know, I don't think there's anyone here who can truly judge him. Um, for, well, anyone can judge him, but I don't judge him <laughs> for the fact that he's going after what he desires, which is freedom, and he's living it. So do you see him as being – well, well let, let's ask two questions here. First, do you think he sees himself as a victim 
And second of all, do you see him as being a, a uh, say, a subconscious victim without realizing it? One, I don't think he sees himself as a victim. And no, I don't think unconsciously he's a victim either. Okay. The fact that he's very aware of what he's choosing and he's enjoying it and he feels happiness, happiness in his life, why would he want to do anything different? I mean, most of us would are so desiring the feeling of freedom to experience that emotion on a regular basis, and he already has it. He just found it through a vehicle that most of us would abhor. Most of us would find disgusting or distasteful or like no way on earth, or we would feel like we were in hell if we were living in those circumstances. <laughs> right. But here's here's a man who truly found joy. In it. He loves to talk to people. He was a people person, you know, by begging for money. He got to connect with people every day. He actually saw the goodness in humanity because of all the people that were contributing to his lifestyle. And he wasn't hungry. He, he, he was able to collect enough funds during the day to like eat every single day. That was something he enjoyed that process. So that leads me to the next question in my mind, which is, okay, if he doesn't see himself as a victim and you're saying, no, you don't think even subconsciously he's a victim, then what does it say about the rest of, or not the rest, but those parts of society that sees him as a victim of his poverty and of his homelessness and so forth? How does that all fit that's, into the picture? Well, that's that's their judgment. That That's their lack of acceptance that people have choice. That's their projection that he should want what they want. And it actually causes the person who has that judgment to feel bad. Judgment never feels good. And by judgment, oh, I, look- I, I want to make sure I clarify here. I think most people probably understand what you mean by judgment. I have a slightly different definition for most people, so I want to clarify. The judgment here, does that include some level of blame or guilt or something along that line? No, I'm just, I, I look at judgment as when somebody judges this man for the lifestyle that he has chosen and the way he's gone about choosing it, they are saying he is wrong and they know something different and better. And when we, ch- when we use our opinion to say someone else is wrong, that to me is judgment. Okay. So And I, yeah. look at, I look at this man's <laughs> choice and go, it's neither wrong nor right. If it makes him happy, who am I to say there's anything wrong in it? Okay. I'm, I'm stumbling here because I'm, I, I'm trying to digest what you're saying and, and, and totally grok it, in, as Robert Heinlein would say. <laughs> um, Have I taken you down a moral dilemma? No, not so much a moral dilemma. More like uh, a, 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 a verbal dilemma. I'm trying. I'm trying to sort the words out so that I understand what your meaning is. I think what you're telling me is that when people are looking at him and looking at what his situation is unfavorably and and thinking that he should be in something else entirely, their judgment, as you call it, as you term it, is. I think you're saying their their judgment is, is tinted by uh, some sort of a guilt or blame thing, but it does it, but it doesn't need to be or it doesn't or it shouldn't be. I'm, tell me if I'm right or wrong. I, I'm not sure if I'm framing what you're saying correctly. I, I don't I don't know I don't know that guilt or blame has anything to do with it. 
Um, what I am saying is that anybody who looks at his scenario and has the opinion that what he's doing is living in a way that is wrong or inappropriate or bad, that individual is making themselves not feel good when they're thinking that thought. And therefore, it's up to the individual who's placing the judgment on, on the homeless man. That's their issue. That's their business. It's so, not It's not about him. So let me, He doesn't need to change what he's doing for them to feel better. So let me clarify a little further here, because you did describe um, the, this hypothetical viewpoint as being that his situation is bad or wrong. That doesn't include some element of blame or guilt or some sort of negative emotion attached to it. That's that's where I'm tripping up. Well, if it, do, I, I don't even know where that's coming from. So explain where where the blame or guilt would be. Well, whose it look, is and what does that look like? I, I don't know specifically whose it is. I'm just saying that in general, whenever we use the term um, bad or wrong, there is usually some kind of a moral judgment attached to that, and a moral judgment usually has some kind of negative emotion attached to it. And that's why I, it sounds like you're separating them, and I'm not quite understanding why you're separating them. Separating what? Separating uh, the negative emotion from the judgment of wrongness or badness. I didn't separate those. I said that when somebody does view somebody as bad or wrong, there is a negative feeling that's associated with that. Oh, I, I'm sorry. See, that's where I was completely missing it. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not saying it has to be blame or it has to be guilt. I don't know what the negative feeling is. I just know it's negative. Oh, no, I was just giving – I was listing those yeah. as, as possible negative emotions, but my point is it, it was okay. a negative emotion of some kind. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you I, I have someone in my family who if they saw a homeless person who was on the side of the road begging for money, their judgment would be, you know, go get a job. That's what they would be thinking as they see that man is there, you know, because we all have experienced it where we're driving in on our car. We come to a red light and there's a man with a cardboard sign, mm -hmm. you know, saying who knows what. But, you know, it might say I'm a vet, you know, hey, can you help me? It could say God bless you. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But bottom line, I have a family member who every time they would see a homeless man or anyone begging for money, there would be a judgment of that's a that's the wrong thing to do. You are not being a good citizen. Mm -hmm. And so, and I know that when my family member has that thought, it makes that person in my family kind of irate. So irate is not feeling good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so I look at that as like, that's my family member's problem. Mm -hmm. That's how that person's thinking. That's how that person is choosing to focus their attention. But, you know, the man on the side of the street who is out in Texas in 100 degree weather and is perspiring and is holding up his sign. He might be happy as a lark. He might love the heat. He might love getting out every day and doing this. I don't know. But it's not my job to uh, decide whether what he's doing is appropriate or not. I'm staying in my lane. I'm sticking with my thing. And I have a choice every time I meet someone who's homeless. Do I choose to um, help support their lifestyle by giving them money or not? And there are times I have, and it has felt really good. And there are times I haven't, and it's felt really good. It's interesting because so, my, my own experience when I, uh, when I encounter people like that is discomfort no matter what I do. 
And I, I, I'm not even sure I can tell you why I feel the discomfort. It, it, I can. The, okay, tell me. Let, let me hear it. <laughs> Whatever you are thinking at that time is causing this, the discomfort. Okay. Negative feelings always come from thoughts that you're thinking that are not the same as how your inner being thinks. Okay. Well, that much I agree and I understand that. That doesn't yeah. mean I understand why it is that I'm disagreeing with my inner being. <laughs> that's and that's what I'm alluding to. I'm alluding to the fact that yeah, the query I don't really... is you don't know you don't know specifically what you're thinking. Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, I okay. I, I don't know where where that feeling is coming from. I can tell you that there does at times feel like there's a, a bunch of factors in place, like there's a societal expectation and then there's how I would feel about it. And then there's how somebody I'm with feels about it. And, and th there's this, this whole mishmash of, of uh, different influences going on. And there's a part of me that's saying, I don't know which way I want to feel about this, but none of them feel good. <laughs> so what I heard you just say is that you are looking to the peanut gallery that's inside your head, occupying space, and they're all telling you all their opinions, and you're looking to them to determine how to make a decision whether to help this homeless man or not, or the person with the sign. Uh, I look right? to, I, in some ways, I do look to them, to that peanut gallery, because, and this goes back to my original question and my original supposition, I don't know what to think about them. I don't know what to think about what they're experiencing. I know I wouldn't like it myself, but I really don't know what to think about them. I mean, you say that they're enjoying it. You say that, that they're feeling a sense of freedom. I don't even know what to think about no, that. No, no, no. I'm not saying they are. I'm saying that one particular man in the Well, that one particular that man, yes. Okay, yes. Sorry. I don't know how the rest of them are. Sorry, I, I didn't mean, I, um, I, I painted too broad a brush, but but my yeah. point is, I mean, you, you, you did see that much. When I look at any person like that, I am just plain perplexed. I don't know what to do with okay. it. Well, so here's here's a something, and it kind of gets us back to victimhood a little bit. Um, I tend to encounter uh, people who are asking for handouts at the gas station, mm -hmm. at least. And I think maybe that's a nicer way in Texas to do it, only because you're under a little bit of shelter. <laughs> okay. Opinion. But anyway, um, I've had people ask me, you know, for help at, shell, uh, at gas stations, and sometimes they have a, a long story that they want to tell me and it all ends up with they need to put gas gas in their gas tank mm -hmm. to get home or mm -hmm. get to someplace. Um, and there are some times that, I mean, I use my, um, my emotional guidance system. I use my intuition. I use my, the feeling I have from inside. I kind of tap into who they are and what they're telling me. And does their story, feel congruent with what the vibe is that I sense from them while they're telling their story. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is, is that making sense so far? Yeah. I think I kind of do the same thing. Okay. Cause I, I, I believe that true communication is where we are completely congruent in what we're saying and what we're really thinking while we're saying it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's kind of like a con artist is thinking one thing, but they're telling you another. Mm hmm. And people who get easily conned by a con artist, it's because they're not being discerning um, in, as far as the person's um, communication. But someone who doesn't get conned and could call them on it and go, you're a con, and they walk away. 
It's because they recognize there's something that doesn't feel right about what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I can also say, I can say honestly that there have been times where I guess I've been con, maybe I'm gold or whatever, but there have been times where I thought that somebody who was in the exact situation you're talking about, they got a cardboard sign, they're asking for help. And there have been times where everything seemed congruent to me. And so I would give them help. And then, and then I found out later on, because I know somebody who's been very much in that situation and he knows all those people. Every single one of them that I've ever run into, he can tell me, oh, yeah, I know who that is. That person's addicted to drugs. But, that person's a gambler. But the thing that's you know. most important, Walt, is not whether he was a con or not. It was how you felt when you gave to them. If it made you feel good, that's the end of the story. And it doesn't matter if they're a con or not. It's all about you. Did it feel good? Well, I think it means so, more. I think there's more to it than that, actually. Because if, well, if, if the let, goal let me, in life is to feel happy, does it really matter how you get there? Um, no, it doesn't matter how you get there. It does matter, though, if you get there. So let me finish my thought, and, and you'll see what okay. I mean. Um, there have been times where I have helped somebody out. It felt good at that moment, and that was a good thing. And then later on, I found out that what I actually did without realizing it was like feed an addict the ability to become more of an addict. And I know that's... And what did you think about that? But before I even get to what I think about it, I want let me me frame it. Um, And I understand that that's his or her choice. That's up to them entirely. But there's also part of me that says, I don't really want to feel somebody... I don't don't really want to feed that in somebody else. So how did it feel to me? It didn't feel good to me. So So that was your thought. I don't want to help feed somebody's addiction. And I... And I came to that feeling after I had the feeling that I that I felt good helping them and learned later on that what I really did didn't feel good. So it felt good early on, and later on it didn't feel good. And that's okay. why I'm saying and that so, it's, it's not enough to just say what happened in that instant. There's also what happened later on. When I look at the whole thing as a, as a combination, it's like, well, it felt sort of good, but I also didn't feel so good. Okay, and so you didn't reframe the it doesn't feel good one? You just let it stand as... That really sucked because I don't want to help feed someone's addiction, and that's what he did. I don't remember, honestly, if I reframed it or not. Well, I know you didn't because you just expressed it. (laughs) I mean, I can still hear in in the sound of your voice that that was not something that made you feel good. Right. Okay. So the reason I say what I did is because I've had that happen before, and then I've reframed it. Well. I didn't know, but if I can think back to, were there any signs that I missed? Yeah, there were. And what were they? And then I would tell myself them. I'm like, okay, well, this gives me new information so that the next time something like this comes up, I'll be better prepared. But I don't make myself wrong or feel bad that he conned me. Yeah, I'm not so sure that he that I felt bad because he conned me or she conned me. I don't think that's why I'm feeling bad. I, and, and I don't even think of, I don't even think of it as feeling bad. I just feel it as think of it as feeling uncomfortable. Bad to me is, is more powerful than what I'm actually feeling. I'm just feeling discomfort. And in that it dis- felt negative. It was a negative feeling. Yes. Okay. It just wasn't a severely negative one. It's not like one that was hanging over my head. Oh my God, I'm going to sweat this one for the next week. It wasn't like that. It was over in a moment. 
and and I let it go in a moment. You know, I didn't even give it any more thought after that. But I did experience it, and I don't really want to continue to experience those. So, like you said, I I can try to learn from it. I can try to pay attention and see if I'm you know picking up the right vibe next time. Did I miss something or whatever? But by the same token, I don't really even want to have to go down that route. I mean, to to me talk about law of attraction i figure the more that i'm focusing on that the more i'm going to get those opportunities i don't really want those opportunities that's really not what i want to be part of my life so i guess i could focus on well okay how can i reframe it how can i feel better about it? how can i learn from it and and there's some value to that certainly i mean it always is good to be feeling better but by the same token i just i also want to take whatever steps i can to remove that experience because i just don't even want the experience so your desire is based on something you do not want. Yes. Well, most are. And, no, they're not all. That may be how, they are, how the desire is created, but you're right now. Well, okay, all right. What, what you're saying, uh, how you express okay. it is, here's something I do not want. Yes. And so from a law of attraction perspective, that's what you have focused that you do not want is what you're actually going to create. Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to avoid doing, actually. I'm trying to avoid continuing right. to, to create it. So whenever you are more focused on what you want to avoid, mm-hmm. you get more of what you want to avoid. Yes, I understand that. So the reframe is what is it you desire instead? Yeah, that's a good question. And if I'm going to answer that one, it's going to be something along the lines of I want to – how do you describe that? How do you describe an absence? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> well, you don't describe the absence, but what if if somebody comes to me panhandling, I want to feel good in the presence of someone who panhandles. So I want to somehow take an action or a non-action that I can feel good about. I want to think in a positive way that allow me to feel good, whatever that may be. Okay. Well, isn't that what you really, isn't that what you really want? Mm, yeah, I guess so. It, it doesn't actually, honestly, it doesn't quite feel right, but it, it's like in the right direction. Okay, so what's missing? What is it you really want? Without focusing on what you want to avoid, what is it you really want? Do you want world peace? Well, sure. Yeah, you can hand it out. <laughs> I'm not sure that actually fits, but yeah, sure. I love you. I'll take it. <laughs> it's okay, kind of like what we were talking about the other day. It's like what we talked about the other day. We talked about how um, you have to really want something in order to attract it successfully with consistency. You have to really want it. And as I sit here asking myself, what do I want? I'm not sure what I really want. I can't say that I have a strong want in any any clear direction for me. I mean, yeah, I guess in general, I, I have the wish of feeling good whenever a situation like that happens. But honestly... I, my, my greater wish is I can feel good without it happening. And and I know that's not an accurate way to describe what it is I really want, but I, I'm not sure how else to get to where I, I'm trying to describe. I just, I, I would rather live in a situation where I just don't even deal with that situation. And I understand that. And the truth is you cannot create that from where you are right now. I, I understand that. That much I'm clear on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it is a much more, I believe, powerful vibrational position to feel okay with anything that comes your way, knowing 
that you can feel good regardless of what's going on in someone else's life. That to me is a very powerful position because I'm, I have such a level of control over my responses to the things that happen in life that something really unpleasant can be in front of me and I don't lose my joy. That's certainly, so, that's certainly the ideal. Okay, so I'll tell you, because I do know how this worked for me. So uh, there's so many panhandlers in, in the area that I live in that, it, I mean, all of Dallas has tons of panhandlers. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I experienced the discomfort that you're talking about so many times. Now, I never had somebody prove to me that someone I gave money to really is a drug addict or really did use it for drugs. <laughs> it's quite an experience, but let me tell you. <laughs> bottom line, it kind of didn't matter because it just said I was experiencing discomfort over and over and over, whether I did give or whether I didn't. Because if I did give, then my thoughts went to, oh, my God, did I just help somebody's drug habit? Or, you know, am I helping them? remain homeless because they're seeing that this is a profitable lifestyle. Uh, because, and these are all my judgments because I'm, I'm the one who's judging that using drugs is bad. And I'm the one who's saying that a homeless lifestyle is bad. And so these well, are, are my thoughts. Are they judgments though, or are they selections? See, here's this, this is a really interesting point from my viewpoint because we go through life faced with a number of different kinds of contrasts. This is one kind, but there are a lot of them. And in each case, we get the opportunity to say, yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. That's a selection. Is that a judgment? It is when you put your selection or preference upon somebody else. I don't see myself putting my selection on, on somebody else in this case. Well, if, okay, using the scenario that you had before, that you found out that you gave money to somebody that was a drug addict. Mm -hmm. and probably use the money for drugs. Is that the situation? Yeah, that's fine. Yep. Okay. So why is that a problem? Why did that make you feel bad? My initial reaction is I, I just don't want I just don't want to just give money to somebody like that. I want to I, I might want what's to wrong, help them what's out. What's wrong with him using drugs? Why is that a problem for you? And the dead air listeners that you're hearing is Walt thinking. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. I'm 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 trying to answer the question in the way that you're framing it. I'm not sure if I can answer it that way. Well, what do you think about illegal drugs? Well, I don't care about the Ill illegality of drugs. Okay, what do you think about drugs? I mean, you if it made you feel bad to learn that this man used it for drugs, was it because his cardboard sign said, I'm hungry, I'm going to use the money for food, and he used it for drugs instead, and he lied to you? I think it's that I don't like experiences that I had in the past with drugs, and I don't want to have anything to do with them again, and I don't want to be a part of having anything to do with them. Okay. So you were going way beyond the fact that you gave him money, and you were putting all sorts of other meaning on your gesture of giving him money. Well, I'm not sure if I'd call it other meaning, but that it's certainly meaning that's meaningful to me. Yeah. I mean, okay. anytime so that I'm making any kind of selection in, in the face of any kind of contrast, I'm doing it based on what's meaningful to me. That this seems to be very similar to that. It seems to be the same thing. Okay. 
But in the gesture of giving him money, did that feel good initially? Initially, it, it felt good, yes. Okay. And in the moment that you gave it to him, did you feel like he was going to put that money to a use that you approved of? I don't think of it as approval. See, I, I understand where you're going with it, but that's really not the way I feel about it. I don't think of it as well, me approving tell, of him. I, I think of it as tell me, me what you feel about it. I don't think it's me approving of him. I think it's me not liking drugs or me liking food. So I thought he was going to use it for food. That felt good to me. I like food too. I like to share the idea of having food. I want him to have food because I like food. I don't really want to help somebody else have drugs because I don't like drugs. It's not because okay, I'm judging now, him in any way. I just don't like it. So this took us down a very different path that I wasn't expecting. Okay. <laughs> is, although I always, I already knew this was about you and not about him. Mm -hmm. Well, sure, yeah, because it was my feeling. So what's about you that it gives you a negative feeling is your work to resolve or find a way to release because you've got a pocket of resistance in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that much I know. Yep. Yeah. So it's not about this guy and it's not about whether you think drugs are good or bad for him. It was that you wanted nothing to do with it because the very thought that he used it for drugs brought up an issue for you about drugs that made you feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, I know that's the way we usually frame things. I don't think that every time that I express something that I, you know, I don't like something that, I, that we're, we're talking about an issue, I really don't. The only way it ever, I don't think that every time that we say I, I do not select something that we are identifying an issue. I think there are many times where we're just saying, I, I simply don't select that. It's not interesting to me. I'm not interested in Which that. Which is fine. But when a negative emotion shows up, now there's something that you have resistance on. So you're saying the negative emotion indicates that there's an issue. Yes. Would you disagree? Well, I mean, if that's the case, might be a really big word, but you know, here on our show, we talk about resistance all the time. Well, we do, yeah. How to identify it? Well, and I'd say you here, just here, identified a pocket of resistance because it didn't feel good. Yeah, and here's the thing: if that's the case, then I don't really see any situation under the way that we're just defining our terms here that it's possible to make a selection of no without there being an issue attached, because. The, the selection of no invariably has a negative emotion attached, like, no, thank you. I don't really want that. That doesn't feel good to me. So no, that makes, that make, I guess I, that makes it an agree. issue every time. I don't agree with that. I've said no and I have felt good. I have when, said no and felt good too, but I also knew when I was saying no that if I had gone at all down the road about the thing that I said no to, it would have felt bad. That, so to say that there was no negative emotion there, is not really accurate. I may not have so, immediately felt negative emotion, but there is an emotional context there. Okay, so somebody contacted me from LinkedIn the other day, and they rolled out this huge offering on a program that they wanted me to check out. Okay. And, you know, he said, and can we talk by phone so I can discuss this with you? And I was not interested in what he offered. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I said... No, thank you. Right. So I said no, mm -hmm. but it did feel bad to me. Mm -hmm. I felt I was being totally 
honest and appropriate with both of them. I both agree. of us. Yeah, sure. So, you know, to legalistically say every time you say no to something, it feels bad. I would say that is not true. No, I didn't say that. Oh, I said that, I, I oh. said that that every time that you say no, there is a potential negative attachment to it. It doesn't mean you have to go down that road and feel it. It just means that it's there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be turning it away. You'd be saying, yes, I want that. Okay, I guess I don't agree with that assessment or that thought process. And I, I think the okay, source I of the, I think the source of the agreement or disagreement here comes down to one thing. What are we feeling in the moment? You're looking at it in terms of what are we feeling in the moment. And that's certainly probably right. the best way to look at stuff. But I also know that I can end up in some way going down that rabbit trail, going down that little that pathway toward the no that I don't like, and suddenly I'm feeling the emotion. I don't think it's it's clear cut that every single time that I say no, I'm I am certain that I'm staying in that positive place because I, that's not necessarily going to happen. All it takes for me is just to just go a little bit down that trail and I start to feel the negative emotion. What trail? I don't know what trail you're talking about. Oh, the, about. the the trail of of experiencing the thing that I really don't want. Well, if you start focusing on that which you don't want, then of course you're going to feel negative. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But. Okay, so I'm not sure that we're in an argument. You were just—I I don't think we're really arguing. No, that I didn't quite understand. I, I, <laughs> or, I see. I see it as I see it as refining the the conversation. We're kind of splitting hairs in, in one sense, but uh, okay. I, I see it as re refining the concept. And and I th I think it's important. The reason I think it's important is, yes, there are a number of times when we're able to just simply say no, thank you, and we don't give any attention to it at all. So it always just feels good in that situation. But I think it's a mistake to say that that's always the experience. Sometimes we will make a decision to say, oh, no, thank you. But there's just a little piece of us that starts sliding down that trail toward the thing we don't want. Now, we just said, no, thank you. And in that moment, we felt good. And then we start to slide a little bit. Now, well, we, we, and that that's exactly that. You have changed your thinking or what you're focusing on to something that doesn't feel good. Right. Okay. So it's still... It's funny that I said we'll eventually come around to it. It still comes down to our feelings. Every, oh, yeah. every thought we think has an associated feeling to it. Oh, it does. Yeah. And so when I've given to somebody who's at a gas station and they, you know, tell me their long story and I say no, I feel good about saying no because it didn't feel good to say yes. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody else might ask me for money and I'll say would $5 of gas help you? And they'll say, yes. I say, you know, I'll come over to your pump and I'll swipe my card and I'll be happy to give you $5 mm -hmm. worth of gas. And that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Now, if I leave and get in my car and go, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. That was so stupid. Well, that's because now I've changed my thinking. This, my afterward thinking is different than my thinking when I said, yes, I'll be happy to give you this $5 worth of gas. So in the moment, how we think shifts how we feel and so one experience just like you had talked about before you gave gave money to somebody you felt good then you learned later that he was really using it for drugs and then you felt bad it was because you changed your thinking it wasn't because the experience changed or was different or that you should have done something different it really comes down to you changed your point of attraction you change what you ch were choosing to focus on in that given moment. Yeah, I think that's true. And and we have to discuss all these kinds of things in terms of instances because that's the only, only real way to make sense out of them in terms of you know how we 
express things verbally. Um, but I also know, and th- this is this is why I was trying to express my confusion earlier. I also know that it's really rare for us to stay in one pure thought form and just stay there. We are constantly shifting thought forms. So mm-hmm. does the thought process change? Yeah, moment by moment. I mean, there's nobody, I think actually the moment that we stop changing our thought process moment by moment is the moment that we're dead. We've moved on back into the non-physical and we're not hanging out in the physical anymore. That's just the nature and, of being in, in the physical realm. So we have this continual um, changing thought process that goes on. And what's significant in this is how do we choose to respond? Like, I remember when I gave somebody $20 on the side of the road who was in trouble, and I gave him $20. And I felt really good about it. And as I was driving away, I started thinking about that family member of mine that I told you about Mm -hmm. and what that family member would have thought about it. Mm -hmm. And immediately, it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And so I went, oh, this doesn't feel good anymore. And I went, why on earth am I letting that family member's opinions of how to live my life make me feel bad. So I immediately pivoted and went to my thinking of it felt so good to gift this woman $20. And I started thinking about, well, what if I was in health or in need of help and on the side of the road? It was kind of an off the beaten path. And it's like the very fact that I drove by her, she was probably just thinking, you know, thanking her lucky stars that someone showed up because it was not a path that many people would drive down. And it it made me feel good for like two days. That was something I wanted to milk. I'm like, it felt good to be generous. Wow, I love this. I didn't realize how much giving up $20 would make me feel good. (laughs) I'm I'm not a hoarder of money by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm also, like I think of one of my sisters as like the most generous person on the planet. Mm. If she had $2 to her name, she'd give me $2 if I needed it and would start working on a campaign to get me more. Mm. Wouldn't worry mm-hmm. about her own. Cons- I mean, this is how generous she is. And mm-hmm. I just started thinking about, wow, I wonder if this is how my sister feels. This is so cool. Well, no wonder she loves being generous because it feels so good. And I milked it for two days. That's a good point because certainly and- that's giving you an insight to – her perspective and it, it sounds like it's a very reasonable connection like yeah that probably is her perspective to some significant degree if she's that generous but but the truth is the woman who i met on the side of the road to which i gifted twenty dollars that was her role in my experience she just happened to be an object of somebody in need giving me um, a point of decision to help or not to help i made the choice to do so and then it was, that was all about me. It wasn't about her. It was all about me. Well, Does that make sense? truthfully, everything is about me. Yeah. So, I and mean, so, so, it's not like it's a distinction to be made that, you know, stuff is about other people. In all cases, every experience I have is about me. Right. And so if we go back to the topic, which has to do with people who choose to assume the victim role, that's all about them. I have lived the victim role. I'm not there anymore. Um, I may have it in certain pockets of my life that I'm not yet aware of. Um, but I guarantee you, if I find it, I will flick them away because I don't <laughs> like feeling the role of victim. Um, but when I was in the role of the victim, I was powerless. I was angry 
but I was blaming everybody else for what wasn't working in my life. It was my job's fault. It was my boss's fault. It was my husband's fault. It was my mother's fault. It was my sister's fault. It was the, the cashier's fault. Everything that didn't go right, it was somebody else's fault. And it made me feel very powerless. And that's what victimization is really all about. It's all about feeling powerless. And learning how to assume the responsibility for my life and even the people I interact with and even the people I interact with behaviors toward me and to me, when I was willing to take responsibility for everything that affects my life, I began to feel more powerful and I began to be powerful and it started to change the responses that I had to people, places, and things. And so if somebody was acting a fool and was being rude and stupid and, you know, just was saying all sorts of horrible things to me because maybe they thought I cut them off in traffic, even though in my mind I didn't, and they're giving me the finger and they're, they're making a fool of themselves. In the past, I used to go, well, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. What, what's your problem? And it would make me feel really bad. And it would set me on a negative course as I was heading off to work and, you know, I had a bad day. But that's not who I am anymore. Because now if somebody's doing all that, I'm like, wow, they must be in a lot of pain. Or they must feel that they're a victim because they thought that I victimized them. Because they thought I cut them off. And you know what? Maybe I did, but I wasn't aware at the time. And all of a sudden the lane ran out and I had to do something or I'd hit a brick wall. Um, and they're all mad. And I'm thinking we're both alive. It's all good. Um, but if I, but when I'm feeling good about whatever my thoughts are, that's me taking powerful control of owning my reality and knowing only I can make me feel good. And I'm not going to let this fool who's, you know, giving me the finger and screaming obscenities at me make me feel bad because that's about him. And I started to recognize that really victimhood is when you take all of your personal responsibility and you put it on someone else. And you don't even realize how much you're hurting yourself when you do it. It's it's a fairly but, frequent activity for sure because, like you said, absolutely. we don't realize that we're doing it. Most of the time when, when we're doing it, we, we don't even think we're doing it. It's it's probably about exactly. the last thought that occurs to us, really. Exactly. And, you know, I can tell you about somebody else that I'm, I'm – I know very well that I've tried to help this person. It's a him. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, he says he wants help. I have expressed how his alcoholism is not helping them, uh, anything. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't even want to say he's an alcoholic because, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I just drink beer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, but you drink beer to excess. You go into drunken stupors, you have blackouts, and you somehow for him in his own mind, because he doesn't drink hard alcohol, you know, he's not drinking gin or vodka or rum, he says, oh, I can't be an alcoholic. And yeah, he's like, drawing okay, the line, right, yeah. Me. Yeah, you're splitting <laughs> hairs, you're playing the denial game, that's fine mm -hmm. and dandy. Um, but he doesn't even want to admit he's an alcoholic, but then when he becomes a diabetic, which is what happened, mm -hmm. um he's telling the doctor, well, I don't even eat sugar. <laughs> and he doesn't tell the doctor how much beer he drinks. Yeah, not realizing that one and has so, to do with the other. Yeah, and I mean, 
most people understand that alcohol turns into sugar in the bloodstream. And so he's filling his body with sugar. And so he doesn't understand why he's diabetic, but now he has to take insulin and he's pissed off that he has to take insulin. That doesn't seem fair because he doesn't even understand how he became diabetic. And so when, you know, he's asking, I mean, he literally was asking me like, how does all this stuff happen? And I'm like, I'll tell you, but I don't know that you're going to listen. <laughs> oh, no, I will, because I'm asking. Okay, fine. So I kind of give him a little bit of a science lesson about how the body works and food works and alcohol works and sugar works and diabetes works. And when it was all done, he went, no, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so even though he asks for help, he really doesn't want it because he's only asking for help that in his mind will fit into the small confines of what's acceptable to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, and here's the bottom line, because he doesn't want to take responsibility for his actions, his beliefs, his behaviors, what he puts into his body. He wants it to be something outside of himself. Like he wants to maybe learn that um, he was in a toxic area and it gave him this bizarre <laughs> thing that affected his DNA. Right. And, you know, I mean, that would probably make him feel good. Sure, yeah, because now it's because, no longer him. Because, yeah, then he could go, see, it's this toxic dump. It's mm-hmm. their fault. Let's go sue them. <laughs> Which is which is really but, a consummate statement of victimization or victimhood, shall we say? Exactly. Yeah. So you know, most people who are the what seems like a forever or a continual or a ongoing victim, what it's going to take for them to not be a victim, if for them to be willing to look at their life and become responsible for the stuff that they've not liked. Mm. And I know that's kind of a scary proposition. Going from I'm not responsible for anything that happens and everything I don't like is someone else's fault to shifting it to, oh, I am responsible. And even the stuff I don't like, I somehow brought that into my life. That There's a gap in there of where some people will never traverse. Some people will say, I'm willing to take ownership of this, this, and this, but not this, this, and this. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, and they do a a, a cut and paste of what they're willing to actually be responsible for. But at least they're moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You know, if you never want to be in the role of the victim, take responsibility for everything in your life and be willing to make appropriate adjustments to feel good. Well, I'm willing to take responsibility for the fact that we only have a minute and a half left, and i got to get a couple of announcements in there. One of which is, if, right. you're not, if you're not yet a subscriber, please do become a subscriber. The instructions are all on the homepage at LOAToday.net. The second message is, if you are a subscriber and you're enjoying these, please help us promote it, because the promotion that all of the the uh, listeners who are helping out, is, the, the promotions that they're doing are, are working. They're making a difference. Um, since in the last two and a half, three months, we have literally doubled our average listenership per day in terms of the number of plays per day. And the, uh, average number of plays per episode is up around, uh, uh, rough estimate about 80%. So it's, it's really doing a big job. So please continue to, uh, share with other people that you're listening to allawaytoday.net because that's how more and more people get their daily dose of happy. And with that, and 10 seconds left, I'm going to say, Wendy Dillard, how do we reach you? They can find me at wendydillard.com. And it's that simple. Wendy, it's been great. Thank you so much for the uh, terrific, in-depth explanations about victimization. I hope it's been helpful to other people. I know it's been helpful to me. Cool. And we hope that you'll join us next time as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.